Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. We were just talking about the mild winter. Obviously, this uh, brief shot of winter is out of the ordinator for this winter. Mild temperatures, really kind of a lost season of ice fishing other than way up north. You know, usually we'd have ice castles and wheelhouses and skid houses on a lot of lakes this far into the winter, but that's just not the case. And it's a struggle for resorts, obviously, who count on that. But is there a silver lining in the fact that what this is going to do to fishing populations? That's a question I have. I know a lot of people listening have. Brad Parsons is the fishery section manager at the DNR. He joins us now on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline. Brad, thank you for taking the time. Let's start there because you know this now. Fishing is all year long, and even the pressures in the winter are uh, equal, if not greater, in some spots than they are uh, in in the summertime and springtime. So. We, we have a see, see a winter like this, and we know it's a struggle for resorts who count on ice fishing, but what is this going to do overall for fish populations in the state? Yeah, well, good morning, Adam. Um, it, you know, obviously it's going to vary from lake to lake, but in general, when, uh, when fish get a respite from fishing pressure, uh, there's, there's fewer that are harvested. Um, obviously, we want people to be able to get out and enjoy ice fishing. It's a huge part of our our culture and our season. Um, but, uh, this, this year we, we just got to encourage people to be safe with the, the ice issues that we've had over the years or over this year. It's been, it's been tricky. Um, but yeah, I mean, there are some fish populations that are getting a little rest from, from people targeting them. I know you measure, uh, fish hours, like, you know, hours spent fishing by individual anglers. And I know that's, you kind of try to calculate, that as signs of fishing pressure. Any idea at this point, this winter, like how how off of regular ice fishing hours we are? Yeah, we, we have surveys that we do on, on given lakes. You know, the, the two that I'm most familiar with right now are Red Lake and uh, Mille Lacs, and uh, th- those are both down significantly. Obviously, you know, Red Lake, uh, the the county up there had, had to, you know, be safe and actually closed vehicle traffic out there and obviously with ice conditions. So, you know, in, in those situations, it's, it's maybe a third to a quarter of what we might see in a normal year. Wow. Um, and, and for specific, you know, those are two big lakes in, in regards to walleye fishing and especially Mille Lacs when it's been a struggle to kind of get a handle on, on the population in that lake and how it impacts you know, spring uh, limits and spring, you know, slot sizes. Any idea how that might impact things moving forward, specifically on Mille Lacs? Yeah, well, you know, it's it's interesting. Uh, even though pressure is really down on Mille Lacs and, and frankly, on lots of lakes, uh, catch rates aren't down at all. And part of the reason for that is that you know, when people can't be out, say, in their ice castle or their skid house, uh, they tend to be more active. They move around and they follow the fish and, and they fish in the, in the, the high times, uh, you know, the evening and the morning when walleye really like to bite. So, so catch rates are actually really quite good. And, 
And catch rates aren't always driven by the number of fish that are in the lake. They're driven as much by how hungry the fish are. If, yeah. if a fish is kind of, you know, uh, fat and happy, so to speak, they're not likely to bite. But if they're kind of peckish, it's a lot easier to catch them. A couple other topics I wanted to talk to you about. We're talking to Brad Parsons, fisheries uh, section manager with the DNR. A couple weeks ago, uh, it was proposed uh, that, uh, you know, more talk about dropping statewide possession limits for walleyes. Where's that conversation at? And I guess from your perspective, how does the DNR view that conversation? Yeah, and, and that's what it is right now. It is a conversation. There's there's not a firm proposal out there. Uh, you know, there was a couple years ago in the legislature, but but, you know, we are looking at things like changes in fishing pressure, changes in climate, invasive species, what the future holds for walleye fishing, and and is it a time for a lower limit? I mean, all the surrounding states and provinces do have lower daily limits than we do. Is it time for us to be considering that? And that's what we're doing is holding that dialogue. Um, you know, there, there are uh, obviously strong opinions on, on both sides of that, and that's what we want to hear. Uh, it's that's what we we like to do. You know, obviously, if we had, we manage over 1,100 lakes for walleyes in this state, Adam, and, you know, having hard biology on every single one of those lakes is a hard thing to do. But but in general, if if we think something is, is better in the long run, that's something we do. But public public input on that and how it affects things like businesses and, and guides and resorts and, and the average angler is what we want to hear. You know, when talking about slot limits, uh, you know, they vary on different lakes. And I think a lot of, uh, they're not a new concept anymore, but I think a lot of uh, anglers wonder, like, how uh, how are they determined? What kind of big impact do they have? And I know now they're happening for other species. You think of walleyes, but like pike and panfish, uh, they also have some, uh, sl- we've been testing slot limits for those fish too. What kind of impact do they have uh, on a, in a given year on a given species as to keeping a healthy population of those fish? Yeah, that, and that, that's the thing is when you're talking about a slot limit, you're talking about either protecting a certain size of fish, and usually that's the size of fish that are the spawners for walleyes, for example, uh, where where we want to have the, the males and the females at least get one chance of, of spawning out there and creating little walleyes before, before they're subject to harvest. You know, for something like a pike, it's more about creating a real quality fishery where you got to protect those medium-sized fish if you're going to get the really big ones. And we do those on lakes uh, where we have uh, good information, where we have the ability to get out there quite often and look at them, look at what the anglers are catching and what they what they want to see. You know, with panfish, it tends to be more. Let's reduce the number of fish. Yeah. It gets a little trickier to you know try and do a, a size limit when you're talking about eight to ten inch fish than when you're talking about say eighteen to twenty five inch fish. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. Last thing for you, we're talking to Brad Parsons, fisheries section manager with the DNR. I faced this a couple of weeks ago. Went up north uh, in the Brainerd Lakes area, went fishing, and I realized I'd forgotten my fishing license, and I was wondering, how is it in 2024 that I still need a physical copy of my fishing license? Aren't there better ways where I can, like, even have my driver's license and have it register if a, oh, a game warden sees my driver's license? It would be able to, he'd be able to see that and somehow pull up on, on a computer that I do, in fact, have a current fishing license. Are, can you tell me about the ways the DNR is trying to improve that? Yeah, for sure. There, there's definitely been improvements with that where you can purchase your license online. You can actually have a copy on your phone. Um, 
There is. Is that uh, legal right now? So if I took a picture of my fishing license and have that photo on my phone, does that suffice for an actual copy of it? You know, a picture on your phone. I'm not certain about that. I, I'm not an enforcement guy, Adam. Okay. But but Sorry. when when you do buy a license online, um, you do have a PDF form. But also, as we're looking at at kind of uh, the whole license buying experience, and uh, and this is a really important initiative within the DNR to make it easier for people to buy licenses, easier for what you're saying to say yes, I have to get their license in a in an immediate manner so they can stay within the rules. And it's it's a big deal. I mean, we sell over a million fishing licenses every year, you know, several hundred thousand hunting licenses of various kinds. So it's not a small undertaking. And uh, but it's really important. And these are things that that uh, there are proposals out there uh, that that we're getting from different company from a company. We have a vendor now. And I'm really excited about how our license system is going to be in the future. It's been the same for about 20 years, and we're fixing it. There is a actually there is a proposal in front of the legislature this year that would allow a photo of your fishing or hunting license uh, to be used. So that's where I got that idea from. Honestly, I was. Whoop! Did we lose him? Well, that was unusual. I think we lost Brad. Let's move on. Uh, sorry to Brad Parsons. Uh, we appreciate the time. But, yes, there is a bill right now uh, in front of the legislature that would allow you just to simply take a photo of your fishing or hunting license, and we'd be able to use that uh, in, in instead of the actual copy. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.